you are going to encounter people in life who claim to be with Jesus. They're going to say, I'm with Jesus. I'm on team Jesus. But they are selfish, mean, and hateful. You're going to encounter these people. Uh, they're going to do the whole, we love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? And the closer that you get to them, the more you realize they are not kind. They are not gracious. They are not forgiving. They are not loving. In fact, they're angry, spiteful, and hateful. I'm not the first pastor to come out of my extended family my grandmother's father was a Methodist pastor in Indiana the first 30, 40 years of the 20th century. My cousin Mike is currently a pastor in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And when I was a freshman in high school, Mike was a senior in high school. Mike was everything that I wasn't. He was a football team, basketball team, track star, athletic had a girlfriend, I was a nerd, I was a nerd, I was a nerd, I was in band, I was a nerd, okay? The two things could not have been more different. But I felt like I had this call to the ministry on my heart. And Mike and his pastor, Pastor Kevin, took me under their wings. And they would meet with me regularly, even though I didn't belong to Pastor Kevin's church, even though I didn't belong to my cousin Mike's church. And they would just meet with me regularly to help me figure out, how do you know if you're called to the ministry? What does that look like? You know, how can you know when God is speaking to you? Like, it was just a really amazing investment. Well, my cousin Mike went off to college, and then he went off to seminary. And about the time he was graduating seminary, that church that had nurtured him, Pastor Kevin went to another state, and they were, they were needing to hire a pastor, and they thought to themselves, oh, Mike is graduating from seminary. He knows us and loves us. We know him and love him. Come be our pastor, Pastor Mike, and he did. But what Mike didn't realize is that there was a man in that congregation, Doc Ingram, and Doc Ingram wanted everything in church done his way the way he wanted, because he underwrote a good portion of the church's budget, being one of the few doctors in town. And he felt that that was his right to do so. And he could be a bit of a, as we say, a mean old rascal. And one week with no warning at all, Doc Ingram called a, a meeting, led the charge, voted my cousin Mike out of the, out of the pastoring of that church, they lived in a parsonage, so in one week's time, he had no severance pay, no place to live, and no money to put food on the table. Can we all agree, is that a mean thing to do? Yeah. Is that a mean thing to do? Yeah. Yes, Mike had not done anything to disqualify him for the ministry, and yet they sent him packing to the curb. Uh, when I was a pastor at Church of the Savior, there was a particular family and both the husband and wife were just, just mean. They were just mean a lot. And they had a number of kids, and one of the kids came up through youth group, and I remember him asking me a lot. He would, I invested a lot in him, and he, I remember him saying to me, Pastor Max, two of my siblings are already adults. Both of them have already failed in their marriages. Both of them are functional alcoholics. I don't want to live that life. 
I do not want the curse that I've been living under in my family of origin to go with me. And so we talked about what does that look like? How do you walk out a different path than the one that was laid before you from your parents? And one of the things that we agreed upon is that when it came time, he should move out of state and live as far away from his family of origin as he possibly could. And he's done that to this day. Still married to the same person, doing great. I happened to run into his mama at Lowe's like eight or nine years ago. So I'm in Lowe's in the, to make a return, and she's standing about four feet in front of me at the counter, also making a return. And I'm just going to call her Dee Dee. Out comes all of Dee Dee's meanness. You blankety blanks, and you're a blank, and blankety blank. You know, if I had been a, you know, a censor for CBS or NBC from 1975, you wouldn't have been able to hear half the things coming out of her mouth just from the swear words. And she was mean, and she was giving those Lowe's employees the riot act over I don't know what. And there was a moment where she was trying to get something out of her purse, and they shot each other the look, and one of them did the nod of, go get the manager quick, right? Quick. <laughs> and so she finished, and she, after a huge tirade, calling them the most despicable things, she spins around, and now our eyes are locked her former pastor <laughs> and she just sighed <sighs> shook her head and she goes hello pastor max and then marched right out of lowe's i didn't have the courage but what i wanted to say was look if you're upset that i saw you do that you should be more worried because jesus saw the whole thing go down and i'm pretty sure he's not okay with anything that just happened here at the lowe's counter in nicholasville <laughs> okay You've known people who have flunked the love test. You've known people who flunked the love test at work because they were liars and cheats. Uh, they threw their coworkers under the bus. They were jerks when the schedule didn't suit them. You've, you've gone to church with some of these people, hopefully not here, but you've gone to church with some of these people where they gossiped about leadership. They refused to share their space in the building with another ministry. I know of churches where there's one room and the only ministry that can use this room is the music ministry or the women's ministry or the, you know, whatever. And, you know, you can't even touch the carpet. You know, you're in trouble. Um, you've grown up with some of these people and you got all the speeches and the anger, but there wasn't anything loving to back it up. Uh, about eight or nine or 10 years ago, I got asked to do a funeral for uh, the ex husband of somebody I used to work with in one of the many jobs I had in the early 90s when I was trying to pay for seminary. And uh, her husband had died. She had divorced him, left him years ago. And uh, when it came time to do the funeral, eight people showed up for the funeral, eight. I was one of the eight. She, as, as the ex-wife, was one of the eight. The two kids were two of the eight. There were four people <laughs> that in a sense didn't have to be there that showed up. And one of them was this man's best friend since childhood. And I remember trying to get him to share a story, any story. Could you, anything about, I'm going to call him Billy. Can you say anything about Billy? This is what he said to me. I'll never forget it. Pastor, there's not a single good thing I can say about that man. Wow. What? Okay. So I think I've established the case right now. There are people like this, and yet Billy was in church every Sunday. 
Billy would have said to you, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? And yet, an honorary, honorary rascal. Okay? Tim Keller, in his book, Generous Justice, he puts it this way. He says, we instinctively tend to limit for whom we exert ourselves. We instinctively tend to limit for whom we exert ourselves. We do it for people like us, for people whom we like. Jesus will have none of that. By depicting a Samaritan helping a Jew, Jesus could not have found a more forceful way to say that anyone at all in need, regardless of race, politics, class, and religion, anyone in need is your neighbor. Not everyone is your brother or sister in faith, but everyone is your neighbor, and you must love your neighbor. Listen to some things that God has to say through John and his gospel. Uh, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that anyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you're my friends if you do what I command. This is my command. Love each other. So if I have a bottom line today, it's really simple. You got to love everybody, whether you like them or not, in the same way that Jesus loves you. Max Vanderpool, I must love everybody, whether I like them or not, <laughs> in the same way that Jesus loves loves me. So I've been teaching from 1 John this summer. It's a letter written by the Apostle John to a group of house churches in and around Ephesus. John lived there and while he was taking care of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so he writes this letter to these house churches. And we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to look at three different versions of the love test. So this is 1 John 2 verses 3 and following. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, well, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we're living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it's an old one you've heard from the very beginning. This old commandment, to love one another, is the same message you heard before. Yet, it's also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. If anyone claims, I'm living in the light, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves another brother or sister is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates another brother or sister is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. So I want to look at the first test, which is found in uh, 1 John chapter uh, 2, verses 3 to 5. Here we go. Um, and the first test is simply this. We can be sure we know him if we obey his commandments. 
And what's the one big commandment that Jesus gave? There's a word. What's the word in the one big commandment? It's in the front. Love, right? We have it at the very front of the sanctuary. Okay? So whoever says, I know Jesus, but doesn't obey Jesus' commandments, God, John calls them a liar. Like, liar, liar. Like, you know, okay? And now John isn't saying that the person is an error. John isn't saying, you know, oh, this person's theology is just out of whack, like they believe the wrong things. John's making a claim that they're actually disconnected from God. When they're not loving, when they're actively hating, they're disconnected from God. For John, if you weren't living in the truth, you weren't living in God because God is truth. So those who obey the commandments have what? They have God's love. And that's the first test. And in verses 6 through 8, we see the second love test. Those who say they live in God should live like whom? Who should people who live in God live like? This is the basic question that all kids get right in all children's classes in Sunday school in America. I'm going to give you another opportunity to knock it right out of the park. Okay, here's my question. Here's my question. Those who say they live in God, who should they live like? Jesus. Jesus. Ah, and how exactly did Jesus live? What was the hallmark of Jesus' life? What was his example? By giving his life for others, even for people who despised and hated him. So this new commandment, old commandment thing that John is fleshing out in this letter, Jesus lived it. Jesus shows what it looks like. And Jesus expects those who follow him to do the same and to love in the same way. In John 13, when Jesus is in the upper room with his friends, he puts it this way. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And here John is referencing Isaiah chapter 60, verses 19 and 20. And I want to read this for you. No longer will you need the sun to shine by day, nor the moon to give its light by night, for the Lord your God will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your moon will never set, your moon will not go down, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. Your days of mourning will come to an end. This whole section of Isaiah 60 is being referenced here. The light that's shining at the end, that light is, it's the same answer you just gave. It's the same, the light shining at the end is who? Jesus who says, I am the light of the world, okay? Uh, at the beginning of John's gospel, the light has already started sh shining in Jesus. John 1.14, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, okay? The second kind of love test. And then we get a third one in these verses 9 through 11, okay? Uh, if anyone claims... I'm living in the light, but hates a fellow believer, that person is living in darkness. So darkness, hate, light, love. Blindness, hate versus sight, love. You get this dualism. This is one of the reasons that John, uh, Jesus called the two sons, uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder. One of the reasons that the Apostle John has this thunderness to him is that he's constantly painting these stark contrasts. You're either dead in sin or you're alive in Christ. 
uh, you're either walking in the light or you're walking in darkness. You can either see or you're blind. It's one or the other for John, and he's got this dualism that plays out in his gospel and his letters. Okay, and the kicker here is verse 10. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to scandal on. Does not cause others to stumble. Isn't that interesting? Scandal on is the word for stumble. Let's be honest. If I were to get embroiled in a horrific sexual scandal, it would cause many at Generations Community Church to what? Stumble, right? Right? So John understands this. John understands this. Uh, if you claim to be a Christian and you love people, you won't cause them to stumble. But if you claim to be a Christian and you don't love people, you're hating people, you're actually going to cause people to stumble, to trip, to, you know, veer off in their faith. There's consequences. It's connected. And you and I to all of this hopefully would say, amen, preach it, John. Right on, brother. Woo, nailed it. Good job. Gifts, talents, and abilities are not the best indicator of whether God is ruling in someone's life. Love is. Let me say that again. Gifts, talents, or abilities are not the best indicator of whether God is ruling in someone's life. Love is. Church attendance, Bible studies, Christian memes on Facebook are not the best indicator of whether God is ruling in someone's life. Love is. Becoming a pastor or a missionary or a Christian leader is not the best indicator of whether God is ruling in someone's life. Love is. Love is the ultimate test. You must love everybody, whether you like them or not, in the same way that Jesus loves you. So I know you've encountered people like me, like Dee Dee at Lowe's, like Doc Ingram at the Baptist Church in Nowhere, Indiana. You've encountered people like that. But rather than focusing on those other people, I want you to think about yourself as I think about myself with a couple of key questions. Am I a more loving person today than I was last month? Am I a more loving person today than I was last month, than last year? What is the character of Christian love? Jesus. <laughs> what is the character of Christian love? It's Jesus. It's the way Jesus loved. Okay? So how can you and I take this home, this message that the Apostle John has for churches in and around Ephesus that's still true today? It rings true today. Okay? 2,000 years later in the American empire, it's still true. Okay? First and foremost, ways to take this home, please, don't be a jerk online for Jesus. Actually, don't be a jerk in person for Jesus. <laughs> Just don't be a jerk, <laughs> okay? There are plenty of other people doing that quite well. They're knocking it out of the park. They're getting a home run with every swing of the bat. Don't you do it, okay? Uh, online, a couple of recommendations for all y'all. Don't be anonymous in comments. Don't be a troll. 
Let me define that for those of you who are old like me. A troll is not someone that lives under a bridge. A troll is a person who starts flame wars or intentionally upsets people on the internet by posting inflammatory or digressive, extraneous or off-topic messages in an online community with the intent of provoking readers into displaying an emotional response either for the troll's amusement or for specific gain. Don't dehumanize other people. Anytime a, a group of people become a category, oh, those teachers, those people on the left, those far right ringers, all of a sudden categories are people that you can dehumanize. And once you dehumanize a group of people, you can act, actively start to hate them. And we don't want to do that because everybody's made in God's image. There's not a single person you won't meet who, for whom Christ didn't die. Okay? So don't be a jerk for Jesus. Secondly, make an effort to love someone you don't like. Someone who isn't like you. Someone who doesn't see things the way you see them. Someone whose sin is so obvious to you but maybe oblivious to them. And if you're not sure what to do, ask them how you can serve them. That's how Jesus did it. He served his way into people's hearts. How can I serve you? What do you need? Um, I do this in a couple of different intentional, uh, I call them places where I get to play in the community. So in the Chamber of Commerce, so I'm a political moderate, if you haven't figured that out. So I tend to be middle of the road in a lot of things politically. America right now is doing this thing where like the people on the far right and far left seem to have the loudest voices. So in the Chamber of Commerce, I've been very intentional to embrace a far-right MAGA Trump person, and I've befriended him, and we do things together and have conversations in the whole nine yards. I am, I am like making an effort to love this person. There's another person in the school district that's like a rainbow, like, you know, unicorns, rainbows, whatever, the far left, the most far left you can be. And again, I'm making an effort to love this person even though they're different from me, because again, I'm, I kind of like think of myself in the middle. And so that's just a practical way that I've chosen, one in the Chamber of Commerce and one in the school district, to just love somebody who's different from me, somebody who's not like me, somebody who doesn't think the way I think. Uh, and it's funny how that will change you, right? Uh, so as I've been effort, with effort loving this person and that person, I found that I see them in ways I didn't see them before. I see them with compassion, right? Okay? So the third thing to take away for you and I is we have to assess our love tank. Let me put it this way. Loved people love. And when you are not experiencing God's love, when you are not aware of God's love, when it's not... You, that tank gets empty right quick, and it's hard to love other people when you are unloved yourself. So I want to I draw out that connection for you. It's one of the main reasons that throughout Scripture in Paul's letters that the Apostle Paul sent, spends so much time focused on Christian identity. You're loved, you're treasured. Like he spells these things out. We were just in the book of Ephesians, and doesn't Paul do that splendidly in the first in second chapter of Ephesians. So Paul knows that there's, there's this profound connection between being loved by God and loving others. 
It's all interconnected. And so I want you to, I want you to see that. So it's very hard to love others, particularly unlovable people, when your tank is empty and you feel depleted, tired, and worn out. So if you're tired, do yourself and Team Jesus a favor. Take a nap catch up on your sleep, right? You don't want to be in the Lowe's line when you're going on three hours and you're feeling uber crotchety. That's just an opportunity for the devil to do his work, isn't it? <laughs> okay. So when you're tired, when you're worn out, when you're depleted, get some rest. Jesus regularly escaped the crowds and demands of ministry to be alone with his heavenly father and to recharge. Okay. So assess your love tank. On a scale of one to five, five being full, one being nearly empty, what number would you give yourself? Okay. Now, I want to make an important qualification about love, mostly because you and I are Americans, and Americans are just weird these days on so many levels. Um, because most of us are Americans, I want to spell this out. Love does not mean accepting or approving of everything others believe or do. Okay, Romans 5.8, Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. Uh, John 8, 9 through 11, uh, there's a woman caught in adultery, and they bring her out to kill her, and they bring her before Jesus, and Jesus uh, scribbles some things in the ground, and then one by one, all of the people that want to kill the woman by stoning her walk away, and so she's left with another shot at life. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them stay to condemn you? No, Lord, she said. Well, neither do I. Go and sin no more, right? He says both, okay? And that's Jesus. Um, I love my daughter, Maddie, but I'm going to tell you right now, Zeke, she is wrong about Captain America. She's wrong. I love my daughter, Jillian, but again, a ribeye steak is, in fact, the best dinner you can ever have, okay? And those are just minor things with which we disagree, and we're in the same family, okay? You see how this works, okay? Uh, so... Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, to stay away from Christianity because part of the Bible's teaching is offensive to you assumes that if there is a God, he, would, he wouldn't have any views that upset you. Does that belief make sense? No. <laughs> no. And if you're in doubt about what love might look like or not look like, just look to Jesus. How did Jesus live? What did Jesus say? And how did Jesus love others, as is recorded in the four Gospels in the New Testament? So I want to tell you today, I remind you about a guy whose songs I love. Our God is an awesome God, he reigns. Okay, Rich Mullins. Rich Mullins was one of the uh, breakaway song leaders of the 80s, 90s. And he was born in the same city that I was. He was born in Richmond, Indiana. Woo, go Indiana. Okay. <laughs> He wrote his first song, like Mozart, when he was four years old. Four years old. Four years old. In 1985, he recorded his first album. And for the next 12 years, he wrote music and toured the country. And in 1995, um, he moved to a Navajo reservation in Arizona. Rich Mullins was different from all the other people of the time uh, because he would do these concerts. And in his concerts, rather than, you know, 
blah, 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 you know, people say stuff at a Christian concert, he would actually confess his own sins, which had a tremendous impact on the people, you know, in attendance. They were like, well, if he's a sinner, I'm a sinner. You know, <laughs> just like it was a thing, right? And so in 1995, he moved to a Navajo reservation in Arizona to teach uh, music to the children who were living there. Uh, in fact, uh, his agent says that he never really grasped how famous he had become because his money was put in a trust. He got a little bit of an allowance to live on on this Navajo reservation, and the rest went to charity, okay? So uh, in September of 1997, Rich and a friend were driving to a benefit concert in Wichita, Kansas, when their Jeep flipped. It was semi-truck, veered into their lane, caused an accident. He was only 41 years old. He passed the love test. He passed the love test. The way he loved people who were not like him, the way he spent his uh, middle-aged years on a Navajo reservation to teach children music. Um, there's one song that I want to close out today that he wrote called The Love of God. And I'm just going to read the lyrics, okay? There's a wideness in God's mercy I cannot find in my own. And he keeps his fire burning to melt this heart of stone. Keeps me aching with a yearning, keeps me glad to have been caught in the reckless, raging fury that they call the love of God. Loved people love, and you and I must love everybody, whether we like them or not, the same way that Jesus loves us.